Hey there, I'm Daphna Chazen, and this is the Down to Earth PCOS Nutrition Podcast. On the show, we talk about managing PCOS using proven strategies, ditching diets for good, and balancing hormones naturally. Let's get to it. considered how your facial muscles, the position of your tongue, and how you breathe impact your hormones? I know, neither did I until today. My guest is Sarah Mercier, and she's here to talk about myofunctional therapy, which is like taking your mouth to the gym and improving your breathing, your facial muscle functioning, and achieving proper oral rest posture. Sarah is a registered dental hygienist and certified specialist in myofunctional airway, and she works with clients with sleep disordered breathing, sleep apnea, TMJ disorder, and clenching and grinding to address and correct the root cause of these health problems. Sarah and I spoke about how common these issues are, you're not going to believe it, and why they often go undiagnosed, and what all of this has to do with PCOS and hormones, which Sarah is particularly passionate about as a woman with PCOS herself. This conversation is super eye-opening, so let's not wait another moment and bring on Sarah. Hey Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, Daphna. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time. I know that you and I talked a little bit before we started and over DMs about this topic, and I'm fascinated. Like, I'm already obsessed. We didn't even get started yet. But this was not stuff that was on my radar at all when it comes to hormones and PCOS. So I'm excited to dive in. Let's kind of get started with you talking about yourself and how you got into this field. Yeah, sure. So I'm a registered dental hygienist. I've been practicing for nine years now. And I got interested in dentistry as a very young kid because I loved going to the dentist. I loved getting my teeth clean. But I kind of grew up in the orthodontist office. I had a really bad open bite. I had a lot of dental problems, not cavities, but just functional and growth-wise and how my face was growing. And I had a lot of sinus issues, just a lot of health issues as a kid. And so I automatically just fell into the dental space, I feel like, because I grew up there. And ironically, myofunctional therapy, so what I do is, like you said, you hadn't really heard of this. A lot of people in the medical and dental field, this is new to them as well. So this is this is just kind of coming to the forefront of dental providers really recognizing the impact that tethered oral tissues like tongue ties have or uh, tongue thrusts. And we'll get into that later. But this is a full circle moment for me because I had all of these issues as a child and now I'm helping other people as an adult. So how did I get into it? I had some background in it, but I was actually just taking a continuing education course for my dental hygiene license about sleep dentistry. And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. I'm always trying to learn new things, see where the field is going. And we were, they were talking about sleep disordered breathing, how your tongue can collapse into your airway and block your airway, cause sleep problems, which then causes hormone problems. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is me. These are all of my issues. And so it was just like a light bulb moment where the light came on and I was like, oh my gosh, this is my problem. And this is for so many of my patients when I was practicing dental hygiene in the, in the private practice, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the answer to so many of their problems that I just had no clue about. Yeah, it's so interesting because it makes total sense right? It makes total sense Mm -hmm. that how we breathe and the mouth and the position of the tongue all impact our sleep, but then no one's really talking about it. 
Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is there's a few sleep apnea companies, um, one in particular that actually has physicians go in and they implant a device in the tongue where the patient then turns on the device when they're sleeping and it activates the nerve fibers to try to push the tongue forward out of the airway. And so I'm like, we've gotten to a space where we're teaching physicians, we're doing implanted devices in people's tongues, but nobody's talking about the body working for itself. And why do you need this device in your tongue? Why do you why do you have sleep apnea? What is causing the obstruction? How do we get to the root cause of it? And I'm super passionate about getting to the root cause of the problem instead of just slapping band-aids on it like CPAPs and then patients get heart disease, Alzheimer's disease because they are not getting enough oxygen at night. So yeah, the field is very evolving. But I would say, I mean, we've known about monofunctional therapy for decades and it used to be called, it's kind of interchangeably called tongue thrust therapy. And so when an infant swallows, the tongue comes forward to either grab the breast or the bottle and suck liquid out of it. And so we call that an immature swallow. That pattern, you should grow out of it as a toddler and start to transition when you go into hard foods. When you have a tongue thrust, if you have a tongue tie, something pulling the tongue down, a lot of times you'll continue to have that immature swallow. And that's what I had. It was causing an open bite. And so what happens is with that, the tongue doing those things, it can also collapse into the airway and block it. So this isn't like something new, but it's something that we're just now kind of coming back around to. So midwives, and I'm kind of jumping ahead here <laughs> talking about tongue ties, but midwives used to, when babies were being born, they would deliver the baby, they would take their thumbnail and they would swipe the thumbnail underneath the tongue to release the tongue tie. Yeah. And, and this was just like a standard practice and what they would do. So they would swipe it underneath the tongue. And then now that we've kind of moved out of midwifery and we don't do that anymore, now we're kind of getting back to a place of like, oh, well, shouldn't we be clipping this? And if you look back in history books and textbooks, they even have what's called a tongue elevator. It's just a little metal instrument that lifts the tongue so that you can get to the tongue tie. That was from like the 1800s. So this is not new. We're just kind of coming full circle now that we're a little more holistic looking at things from a bigger picture. This is fascinating. So let's take a step back and talk about why is this genetics? Like, why is this stuff happening? Is someone born with a certain structure of their mouth and how the tongue rests? Like, where is it all starting? That's a great question. So there's a lot of theories. We don't have any... The answer is we don't know. So that's the solid answer. We don't know. There's a lot of hypotheses and it's going to take more studies and testing to know. But a lot of it seems to be genetic. A lot of families like all see children and then or their parents and the parents will say, oh, wait, I think my kid has a tongue tie. And so there's a lot of different theories. One is a specific gene mutation, the MTHRFR gene or the mother effer gene, as it's called, (laughs) that can cause a lot of other problems. So that's one theory. Another theory is that since we've promoted women taking supplements for to prevent spina bifida, like folic acid, it strengthens the spinal column, but it may also strengthen other tissue along the midline, like underneath the tongue, which it's just a byproduct. It's, you know, just like a side effect that it's like, oops, that causes other issues that we weren't really looking at. That's one theory. Another theory is we have a lot of, see, the thing is, 10,000 years ago, if you had a tongue tie and you couldn't breastfeed properly, you died, right? So we didn't pass those genes on. Now that we have modern medicine and we have bottles and we have things that can get children past those hurdles, those genes are being passed on. And so it could be becoming more prolific because before you used to die and not pass on your genetics. 
Same thing with, you know, IVF and, you know, patients being able to do different pregnancy things. They're passing on genetics that otherwise wouldn't have been passed on. So part of it is genetics as far as like what the tissue is under the tongue. Now, as far as how your face grows and how your jaw grows, one is function. So form follows function. Your face grows how your muscles tell it to grow because your muscles are what grows the bone. So if your tongue is low in the mouth because you have a tongue tie, you have a piece of skin anchoring your tongue down. It doesn't rest on the roof of your mouth. Your tongue is what grows your upper jaw wide and forward, and then the lower jaw follows. So if you have your tongue tie and you have your tongue resting low in your mouth, or you have a tongue hitting your teeth, you don't grow the jaw wide and forward like it's supposed to. So that's where we see a lot of issues. We call it adenoid face, and it's more of an elongated face shape, sometimes a hump in the nose. A hump in the nose is where your face started growing forward, and then it stopped and grew down. So if you have a hump in the nose, you have an elongated face shape, these are all signs that functionally something was wrong and it wasn't growing it forward. Something else that we look at is chewing and function. Chewing is the best exercise you can do for your face, especially little kids. We love to give them things that are chewy, things that make them have to work. A lot of times now we're giving them squeeze pouches of you know pureed food. They're not chewing a lot. And so their jaws aren't forming. And our Western diet is more soft. Before we were hunter gatherers, we were chewing hard nuts, chewing meat, really having to get in there and chew. And now we don't have to do that so much. So the answer to your question is, we don't know, but there's a lot of different factors. It's probably not one single thing. It's a lot of different factors. Okay. Interesting. And I would think habits, like you said, fall into that as well. Like I'm thinking I had a friend when I was growing up, she was sucking her thumb well into like middle school Mm -hmm. and her whole face shape changed over the years. Like you can actually see it, not just her teeth being pushed forward, but like you said, like her Mm -hmm. jaw, everything Mm -hmm. changed. Right. And thumb sucking is always a red flag past like a few months old, like some babies will self-soothe. Thumb sucking is a self-soothing mechanism when the tongue isn't where it's supposed to be. And it also opens the airway. So if you have clean hands, if you put your thumb in your mouth and you suck on your thumb, you'll notice that your thumb pulls the lower jaw forward. That opens your airway. So a lot of children will suck the thumb because it makes it easier for them to breathe. They don't know why they're doing it. They're doing it because it feels good. So part of it is to open the airway because it's too small. Either there's tonsils in the way, their lower jaw is not going forward, multiple issues. The other thing is the thumb pushes up on the palate. The palate is the floor of the sinus. So if you're pushing your palate up into your sinuses, they're getting very small and restricted and you can't breathe through your nose. So you tend to mouth breathe. Now we've got this issue where your tongue is low in the mouth. It's this vicious cycle that goes round and round. But if the tongue is low in the mouth, it doesn't stimulate the roof of the mouth. And when we swallow properly and the back of the tongue comes up properly, it activates our vagus nerve, which is our rest and digest nerve. So if your tongue is stuck to the floor of the mouth, your body's in constant fight or flight mode. When you stick that thumb in your mouth and you rub the palate, it's uh, it's just, it's pay, basically taking yeah. place of the tongue. Right. So it's all like survival mechanisms, essentially. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's, it's a lot of it is nervous system regulation. So it's getting to breathe easily, calms your nervous system down. Rubbing the palate with the thumb calms the nervous system down. Our body's trying to find homeostasis. It's trying right. to find normal. And so it will do whatever it needs to do to try to get you into that normal state, even if it's dysfunction. Okay, so we're going to get into how all of this relates to hormones and PCOS in a second, but I want you to share with our listeners a little bit more information about what are tongue ties and what is, I heard you talk about 
tongue thrusts as well. Mm-hmm, correct. What's the right. difference? What are they? Because it seems like a lot of the basis of all of this is in those two things, right? The position of the tongue. Correct. And, okay. Mm-hmm. So a tongue tie, we call tongue ties, lip ties, buckle ties, or cheek ties. Collectively, we call them tethered oral tissues. Now, everybody, it's called a frenum or a frenulum. You know, frenum, frenum, frenulum, it's all the same thing. It's connective tissue that connects our, our like lips and our tongue to other things in our mouth. Everybody has a frenum. So if you lift your tongue, you'll see a piece of skin that connects your tongue to the floor of your mouth. Everybody has a frenum. Some people don't, but it's rare, but most people have a frenum. It's a problem if it's too short, too tight, or if it impedes function. Usually it's all three. So that frenum underneath the tongue, if it's too tight, like I said, you know, again, we don't know why genetically other things, if it's too tight, it's essentially a giant rubber band that anchors your tongue to the floor of the mouth. That frenum is supposed to dissolve about 12 to 16 weeks in utero. So you're supposed to have that tight tissue go away. And a lot of times it doesn't. Again, we don't know why, but it's it's not going away. So in order to release... So now that the baby's born and that tongue tie didn't release its own in the womb, now we need to release it. So there's tongue ties, there's lip ties. A lot of red flags are babies who have colic. It's because they're sucking in too much air. They're not getting a good latch on the breast or the bottle. Babies with colic, babies who get thrush or white coating on the tongue. If the baby cries and their tongue stays low in the mouth, that's a sign that there's a restriction. So all of these ties are basically frenum that are too tight and they're impeding function. So that's what, if you hear tongue tie, lip tie, those are the pieces of connective tissue that are too tight causing dysfunction. Now, now people don't grow thrust, out of that? Like it just no. stays? Okay. Correct. So if you, if you're born and you've got those, nothing releases that connective tissue. It's too, it's collagen. It's too thick. And so you can stretch it. So when we do myofunctional therapy, the goal is to stretch and get a little bit of elasticity before we do a tongue tie release, but nothing other than physically cutting or lasering or removing that restriction is going to work. So no, you can't like stretch it out and release it. You have to physically go in and release it. And it's technically, we hear the term myofascial release where you're going to go like do a deep massage where they do your fascia, which is essentially, fascia is like a webbing that connects all of our muscles and it kind of keeps us in place. It's like a suspension web is what I like to call it. And so sometimes that can get bunched up and tight. It can happen underneath your tongue. It can happen everywhere. But the myofascial release is they're breaking up pieces of the webbing that's getting too tight. Doing a tongue tie release or a lip tie release is technically the only type of myofascial release that's actually releasing anything. It's other stuff is loosening it up. It's not physically releasing it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So... And then a tongue thrush, did you already talk about that? Is that, that's the, when the rubber band is pulling it down or is that something else? So when the rubber band is pulling the tongue down, the back of the tongue, when we were talking about infants, how they swallow is like a wave pattern. It goes back to front, pull the milk back, back to front, pull the milk back. Then when you get into infancy and you're starting to chew solid food, and you still have that wave pattern, that's a tongue thrust. And you'll, a lot of times how we test for a tongue thrust is speech language pathologists always look, you know, look for these things too, and they evaluate speech. But one of the big ones, and this is how my myofunctional therapist as a kid was like, oh, she definitely has a tongue thrust. One is I had a very big open bite. My top front and bottom teeth were wide open. They were not touching or close to touching because my tongue was pushing my teeth out. But another one is if you say Nancy, 
the tip of your tongue will land if you're saying it correctly if you don't have a speech problem and the end sound will end it will stop right behind your two front teeth on the on the gums that's what we call the spot that's where your tongue should be if you say lemon lemon and your tongue comes forward and hits your teeth and that's a big red flag that you probably have a tongue thrust and the question is why so it's really the tongue ties the, the stuck tongue is causing it to move in an unnatural way so the tongue thrust is caused by bad habits developed in infancy because usually the tongue was stuck so the body just kept that immature swallow pattern okay so if someone has speech issues or had them as a kid, are they more likely to have myofunctional dysfunction? So speech problems in and of itself is a myofunctional problem because the tongue muscle okay. is not moving properly. A lot of times, so I didn't have any speech problems as a kid. And so a lot of kids fly under the radar when they have myofunctional problems because they come up with what we call compensations. Their body will find a way, like if you can't make the R sound properly, Sometimes these kids will make up a weird way to move their tongue to make the sound. I had a patient who actually, he speaks Spanish. He couldn't roll his R's because he had such a bad tongue tie in the front. So he rolled his R's kind of out of the side of his mouth. It was very interesting. But the body will come up with, a, it's going to try all these different things and whatever works, works, even though that's not correct. That's not how his tongue was supposed to move. So the big red flag, especially with kids with speech problems, I would be shocked. I have never seen a child who had a speech problem who didn't also have a tongue tie or some type of myofunctional developmental disorders because tongue doesn't just go in these places on its own. It, it has to go there as a backup plan. So especially kids who can't say R, if you say the letter R, you'll feel the back of your tongue lift up and touch your palate. A lot of the kids who have tongue ties in the back, they physically cannot get the back of the tongue up. So any child in speech therapy should automatically be seen by a myofunctional therapist to look for disorders and also evaluated for tongue ties and other tethered oral tissues. And that could continuing into adulthood, right? Like same thing. Yes. Okay. It doesn't go away. So these like these right. unless it was taken care of, right? Correct. And sometimes we'll have infants where they were relieved at birth. And sometimes we just can't get all of the restrictive connective tissue. There's a lot of it. And so some people will go in and if you don't have a provider who is properly trained in tongue ties, not just any provider off the street will know how to do this. They may think they do, but they don't. So this is, there's very specific techniques that's taught beyond medical school, beyond dental school. And there's a few providers who are really leading the field and making sure that these things are done correctly. And sometimes we'll have, you know, a doctor go in and just sniff underneath the baby tongue they're getting the skin they're getting some of the connective tissue but they're not getting it all and then sometimes also even if it's a provider who knows what they're doing and they're doing a good job just because the way the baby tongue is moving they may not be able to get all the way back so a tongue tie release is when we release the tongue tie a revision is when we revise it or we have to go back and fix it and do it again so some people misunderstand or interchange the two they're two different things a release is the first one a revision is to fix or revise the first one. So different, it could happen and maybe we need to fix it or do a little bit more the second time. Okay. Can you talk a little bit about where the tongue should be? So for anyone listening right now, and I know I'm like moving my tongue, I'm like, am I positioned? <laughs> so yeah. what is the correct healthy position of the tongue? So if you don't have any speech problems, we're just going to assume that you don't have any speech issues. And when you say the letter N, your tongue is going to the correct spot. So if you say the letter N, you'll feel your the tip of your tongue hit right behind your two front teeth on the gums. Some people have a little bump there. Some people don't. It's called the incisive papilla. Some people have a very prominent one. Other people don't. I don't really. So if you say N 
and you feel your tongue rest on that spot, that is where your tongue should rest at all times, the tip of the tongue. Now, the rest of the tongue should be lightly suctioned to the palate all the way from the tip to the very back of the tongue, touching the soft palate, the squishy part. A lot of times if you have a posterior tongue tie, you can get like halfway, maybe two thirds of the way up and then you fall off and you can't get all the way up on the palate. And that's a red flag. So the tongue should be lightly suctioned without effort. Like you shouldn't have to think about it. Uh, lightly suctioned, you should have your lips lightly closed at rest without the help of your chin, just your lip muscles, not using your chin to help. And you should be breathing through your nose 24-7. So that is what we call proper oral rest posture. And that is the goal of myofunctional therapy is to get you to that place where all of that is normal, subconscious, and we undo the bad habits that you have. That's not how your mouth naturally rests. Okay. So... I'm good with that. Like for me personally, I know my tongue is somewhat in the right position based on what you said, but I sleep with my mouth open. Right. And so, yep, so, it's, so it's not 24 seven that my mouth is closed. I'm assuming that's common, right? I would say it's common only because dysfunction is common. So okay. it's your, it's quote unquote, your normal, but that doesn't make it normal. And so if you, if you breathe with your mouth open, so that's a red flag that you're not breathing through your nose properly. A, is there some obstruction in your nose? Do you have a deviated septum? Is there something blocking your nasal passages? Number two is if your tongue, if you have a posterior tongue tie, where like I said, you can't fully suction the tongue up, maybe you you think you can, but you're really not getting the very back part up. When you lay down and go to sleep at night, all of your muscles relax and that suction is what keeps the tongue out of the airway. So if the tongue is not suctioned, it will collapse into the throat. You're going to be choking. And we see this on sleep studies. That's how we measure like what's going on. So your tongue will collapse and your lower jaw will drop open because you can't breathe. So your body will find the path of least resistance. If it's not through the nose, the escape hatch is through the mouth. So if you're mouth breathing at night, that's a red flag. Why is your tongue not where it should be? Why is your mouth dropping open? And this can cause a lot of problems with hormones, but also oral health. When you're mouth breathing, you're drying out the oral cavity, you're changing the microbiome, you're proliferating bad bacteria, you're killing good bacteria, and then you swallow and that all goes to your gut. And we know how connected the gut is to our hormone health, mental health, all of that stuff. Okay. So let's get into that because I want to dive deep into Mm -hmm. how it actually impacts. Why is this important? So can you Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what you just touched on? So if I have a myofunctional dysfunction, either with my tongue or open mouth breathing or all of those things that we just talked about, what is it actually doing to my body? Great question. So I would say nervous system is a big one. Sleep is another one. And oral health is probably, those are probably like the capstones. So as far as oral health goes, mouth breathing, first of all, you're breathing bacteria, viruses, pollutants, anything in the air is going straight to your upper respiratory system. Your nose is a filter. It humidifies air, it cleans the air, and breathing through your nose produces nitric oxide, which is a natural antimicrobial. Mouth breathing, you don't get nitric oxide, only through breathing through the nose. Nitric oxide also helps oxygen get into the red blood cell. It helps oxygenate the blood. So if you're mouth breathing, you're essentially hyperventilating. You're breathing straight into the chest. You're getting all the bacteria and things into the chest. You're more likely to get sick and have other problems. But that's number one is all these particles are going straight to your lungs without any filtration. Number two is when you mouth breathe, you dry out the mouth. The mouth is supposed to be moist. That's why we have saliva. It has natural remineralization like calcium, phosphate, different things in it that keep our teeth healthy. 
keep our gums healthy. So if you're mouth breathing, you're drying out the oral cavity, bad bacteria love that. They go crazy. That's when we see a lot of cavities, a lot of periodontal or gum disease. And so when you have that bacteria, the bad bacteria that's growing in your mouth, like if you wake up and your mouth's open, you've got bad morning breath, that's bacteria that's been growing all night long. And so if you think about it, your mouth is the beginning of your digestive system. Like your mouth connects to your esophagus, connects to your stomach, connects to your intestines. It's all your digestive tract. So if you have bad bacteria growing all night, not only does it enter your bloodstream through your gum tissue, but it also, you swallow it and it goes straight to your gut. And now it can cross the gut barrier, you know, cross the cellular barrier and go into your bloodstream that way. So that's number one. We know from research how important the microflora of your gut is to your hormone health, to your mental health. It affects how much serotonin is released. This is all super connected. So if you're worried about your gut health, you should very much be worried about your oral health as well because the mouth is the beginning of the gut. So that's number one. Number two is your nervous system. So a couple of things. The tongue, remember we just talked about the tongue resting on the roof of the mouth, tells the vagus nerve to rest and digest. Your vagus nerve connects to your digestive system. It tells you to calm down, start digesting food. So a lot of people who have these disorders will have problems with like irritable, irritable bowel syndrome, just poor digestion, chronic acid reflux, things like that. So the tongue being where it's supposed to be and swallowing correctly is what starts peristalsis, which is your digestion of things moving and getting digested. So if your tongue is not where it's supposed to be, you're chronically in this fight or flight mode and you can't calm down. So a lot of symptoms of actually ADHD has about an 80% crossover with myofunctional disorders. So irritability, trouble concentrating, brain fog, all of these things, because one, the nervous system is like on edge. And number two is sleep. And so that's kind of like the final capstone. So we talked about if the tongue is not where it's supposed to be, it collapses into the airway, you choke, you don't get good deep sleep. You're literally in fight or flight mode all night long. Your cortisol levels raise and PCOS people like me, we know cortisol is not good. <laughs> it throws all of our hormones out of whack. So poor sleep increases cortisol levels, your stress hormones. And then we get this, this poor sleep that causes the hormones to be dysregulated. And we just know how important sleep is to overall health. So the big thing is when you sleep, if your tongue is not where it's supposed to be, and you're not getting good restorative sleep, you're basically running on fumes. And when we need to measure, we need to measure things basically to know where you're at. So I had two sleep studies done. I just felt tired. I was like, there's no reason for me to be tired all the time. Like I feel like I wake up sometimes more tired than when I went to bed and I did two sleep studies and I don't have obstructive sleep apnea because I don't stop breathing five times an hour. I quote unquote only stop breathing four. So I went, to, I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Why am I stopping breathing at all? So I went to an airway trained physician who did my tongue tie release. He did all of my, my tonsillectomy, got my tonsils out that were choking me. And he was like, yeah, Sarah, your blood oxygen drops from 98% to 86% when you're sleeping. If you were in the wow. hospital, they'd put you on oxygen. So I had two doctors tell me I was fine. But then I had another doctor who was like, no, you're going to get like heart disease or Alzheimer's. I'm like, okay, I knew something was wrong. I knew something was off. And with these hormones and poor sleep, that does not help my PCOS at all. So all of these things are connected. Wow. So it's not just physically, it's mentally too, right? So there's a connection with that as well. Yeah. And if you, I mean, think about how you feel if you get bad sleep. Are you ready to, I'm not ready to tackle a day. I'm like any little thing, like it feels overwhelming and we're not, I had a great night's sleep one night and I posted about it on social media. I said, I feel like I could go do whatever I wanted today. I said, if I felt like this every day, I could be president. Like 
this is amazing. And so I'm in, I, once I got my tonsils out, I started sleeping better and things like that. But if you're chronically tired or if you need coffee, if you need coffee to wake up in the morning, red flag. You shouldn't need coffee to wake up. If you need coffee mid-afternoon because you've hit a slump, red flag. You shouldn't need a nap. You shouldn't need coffee. These are all red flags that you're not getting restorative sleep at night. And so your body's like, we got to rest because I didn't get good sleep last night. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, that's normal or I mean, common and that's their normal, like usual routine or how they feel, but they actually don't realize this isn't normal. This isn't how you should be feeling. It may be how you felt for the past decade, but that doesn't make it okay. Right. I love what you just said. It's common. It's not normal. So like snoring, snoring is common. It is never normal. That's choking. What is blocking your airway where you're choking on your tissues, right? So like you said, and for me, I mean, I I went in at 25 and I thought I was crazy. So if you're 25, you're a girl, you're not some big, beefy, thick old man who's choking. And I'm like, no, something's like wrong because I felt like this for a long time and I'm only 25. So this is like, I just don't understand why I would feel this way. But most people are like, this is life. Like, I don't know any different. So like you said, if it's your normal, that doesn't mean it is normal. Right. So do you recommend that people get a sleep apnea? Well, what's what situation or what red flags would say this person needs to get a sleep study to evaluate for sleep, sleep apnea? Because I talked to a doctor a few uh, weeks ago about this and she said, no, no, no. Sleep apnea only happens, you know, with men with really thick necks or what, you know, like, and then like, it actually doesn't only happen in those situations. No. So if someone's not getting the support they need from their doctor, like what should they be looking for? So I would say like these doctors don't know what they don't know. And so there's another, and I'm going to tell you and your listeners, they'll probably get, oh my God. I had the syndrome because I only stopped breathing four and a half times an hour, but my airway was the size of like a coffee stir. It was being blocked so severely that my blood oxygen was dropping. A lot of these doctors are laser focused on how many times an hour do you stop breathing for 10 seconds or more? What happens if you choke for five seconds and your body wakes you up? It's not going to register. So you have to look at the whole big picture. And that's where I help my clients find airway center providers who look at everything. And there's actually a syndrome called the upper airway resistance syndrome. And we it's nicknamed the young fit female syndrome, because that's a lot of women and you don't have to be fit to have this issue. But that's a lot of these women, what they have is they're younger, maybe they're active, they're fit, but they're like, I just feel tired all the time. You can still have obstruction and be a young fit girl. You don't have to have be an overweight, big, beefy guy. Right. So I would say getting a sleep study is like step number one. But whatever results you get from it, take it with a grain of salt. But we need to have an airway trained provider read it. So I always tell my clients, like, I don't care where you get a sleep study, just get it, ask for the full report, and then we'll get a second opinion from an airway trained provider. So don't get discouraged. If you feel like something's wrong, you get a sleep study and people are like, you're fine, you're totally fine, there's nothing wrong. Get a second opinion from somebody airway trained because that's exactly what happened to me. And they would have to go to a pulmonologist, right? That's usually where the person that would prescribe the test? So you can actually get, you can get referred, you can do an at-home sleep study. Some places will start with that first. So you can have your dentist actually prescribe a sleep study. You can have your general practitioner recommend a sleep study. The only difference at home, we want to have a sleep study that measures your RDI, which is how much airflow you get in through your nose. Some do, some don't, but we really want to see what that measurement is. In lab sleep studies, we measure that. And also, you can only measure 
central sleep apnea, which is neurological brain related, like narcolepsy in the lab. You can't get that at mm-hmm. home, but I'd say like, I'm, I'm just guessing here, but I'm, I'm going to go on a limb and say like 95% of sleep apnea cases are obstructive. They're not brain related. There's something blocking the airway. So that's really where the sleep studies come in. But you can have your general provider. I just had my general GP, my regular doctor, order me a sleep study because I said, this is just not normal. And she was kind of like, oh, well, you're probably okay. And I said, I'm not leaving this office until you give me a referral. And she was like, okay, fine, like whatever you want. So I say like, you have to be an advocate. But again, part of what I do with my own functional therapy is I help you find those providers and get the right answers because you can chase your tail all day long trying to find the right answers and the right provider. But if you're not going to the right place, you're not going to find it. And that was my case. And I don't want anybody else to have to go through that. So once you had your results, what did you do? So I got my results. Two doctors told me I was fine. I waited, I don't know, five years until I happened to take that one dental sleep medicine course. And I said, oh my gosh, like something is wrong. And so I took my sleep study results to um, Dr. Zaghi at the Breathe Institute in Los Angeles. And he's my doctor who did my tonsillectomy. He did my tongue tie release. I have a lot of my clients see him. So I do the myofunctional therapy and myofunctional therapy. I guess, should we talk about what myofunctional therapy is? Yes, <laughs> let's do that. Okay. So just to clarify, like myofunctional therapy, I'd say it's basically personal training for your mouth. It sounds weird, but that's what it is. So if your tongue has been stuck to the floor of your mouth your whole life, or if it's not working properly, we have to retrain those muscles. And so you do exercises with the tongue to tone it and to teach it where it's supposed to go. So part of it is neurological like relearning. And then the other part of it is physically working out. The tongue is a muscle like any other muscle of your body. So we work it out. Now you have to do myofunctional therapy before a tongue tie release and after. Otherwise, you're not going to have a fully successful release. So you have to do myo before in order to get the tongue strong enough to lift up in the back so that the tongue tie release provider can get all of the connective tissue. Otherwise, they're going to miss some of it because they can't get to it because the muscle is weak. So that's number one. Number two, you have to do myofunctional therapy and we finish up kind of like tongue rehab after you do a release because we need to prevent scar tissue. It's like it's like going to physical therapy after a knee surgery. Like you have to work out the muscles and get that healing properly. Same thing with the tongue. So that's what myofunctional therapy, I'm basically your personal trainer for your tongue getting it where it's supposed to be. And even if you don't have a tongue tie, if your tongue is not where it's supposed to be, we have to re-educate your brain of where that tongue is supposed to be to make sure you're breathing properly, make sure your nervous system is regulated. So it's not just because you have a tongue tie, but a lot of times I've had one client where we thought he didn't have a tongue tie out of all my clients. And I'm like, this is so strange because you know you have all these myofunctional things going on. And then later we did some myofascial release and the the provider, she was great. She was a physical therapist and she was like, I think you have some restriction under your tongue. He did have a very, very small tongue tie in the back once we released it all the rest of the stuff resolved itself. I always say like, I had one client who didn't have a tongue tie. Nope, 100% of my clients have tongue ties. Wow, I didn't know it's that common. Yes. And a lot of these things, like you said, people are just used to living with them. So that's what myofunctional therapy is. So we start with myofunctional therapy. We do any tethered oral tissue release needed, and then we kind of do rehab after. And what results have you seen in terms of your hormones and PCOS once you started taking care of those issues? So I always say with especially my clients and myself, we have to have realistic expectations. So when we do my x-ray of my airway, we take an image of my head and neck. 
my throat was like the size of a coffee stir. It was like four millimeters wide. I'm a jaw surgery candidate. So technically my lower jaw should come forward more. We made room in my throat with getting my tonsils out about doubled in size, but eight millimeters is still not great. And so I'm actually going to be moving. I'm moving out of the country. Luckily, I do everything virtually. So if if nothing's going to change, I see all my clients just the same way. So you wouldn't know I was gone unless I told you I was gone. (laughs) So I'm going to be moving and then moving back. But I am technically a jaw surgery candidate. So I knew I wasn't going to be 100% better because I know that I don't, I still don't have enough room in my throat. It's better than it was, but it's not perfect. That's number one. Number two, my sleep did improve. However, I was going through a very messy divorce (laughs) at the same time that this was happening. So I feel like I'm not a good litmus test of like, how did everything go? I'm like, I was not sleeping well. I had anxiety, you know, I had all these things. But I would say definitely like my allergies now and being able to breathe and get my tongue up where it's supposed to be during the day, I can breathe much easier through my nose. During the nighttime, I do notice less like mouth breathing. I definitely wake up with less dry mouth, I would say. But I would say like my other clients, I feel like I'm not a great representation because I didn't do 100% of the things that I would tell somebody else to do. And so I wasn't expecting to be 100% better. And that's where, again, like I tell people, we have to have realistic expectations. If I was a three-year-old, we could use a little appliance such as an alpha appliance, which is like a little light wire that helps grow the jaw forward. I could have had a tongue tie release at three. My face could have grown perfectly. I'm 31. We were past that point. And so usually we need something more, either like a little implants that we do on the roof of the mouth to grow the palate wider or jaw surgery, or you can use an appliance but it's not a one-stop shop. Myofunctional therapy is great, but it doesn't fix everything. But some of my other clients, so that are these people are much better representations because they weren't going through a divorce. They weren't going through all these things. A lot of my clients had very bad TMJ pain, TMJ problem from clenching and grinding. Totally gone. One of my clients, she was like 22. And I'm so glad I caught her early because she just had debilitating headaches all the time, TMJ pain. Once we did her tongue tie release and we got her bite where it was supposed to be, that pain went away because when the muscles are being pulled out of alignment, it's like you pull your back out. It's like, oh, that's painful. Like you, your muscle is not working properly. Same thing with your face. So a lot of my patients, TMJ pain resolves, sleep gets better. And after the tongue tie release, we like to do a follow-up sleep study just to see where are we at. And then I have other clients who have gone the full nine yards where we did the myofunctional therapy. They did jaw surgery, braces, tongue tie release, and now they're 100% better. They don't need their CPAP anymore. So it's really a full, like, as long as you do all the things that are the root cause, as long as you address those, I haven't had one person who hasn't seen improvement in all the areas they were looking for, as long as we address those things. Yeah, I have a few clients who have TMJ, they have problems with teeth grinding and sleep. And so Mm -hmm. I can see this as being a huge part of healing in general for PCOS specifically. But I love that you Mm -hmm. said it's not a one-stop shop. So this is just another avenue to explore. This is not something that's going to fix everyone's problems in one fell swoop. Like it's not that. Correct. And it sounds like it takes a good amount of work, right? Like it's a, it's a process and it's a journey. Like anything else, it's like you said, not a quick fix. It's something that it's not a device that's implanted into your tongue and does the, the work for right. you. It's actually, you got to do the exercises. You got to strengthen the muscles, reposition everything. And so it's a long game, it sounds like. And I'm all about it. I think that hormones in general is something that you need to tackle from multiple angles. And usually those therapies are going to take some time. 
Yeah, absolutely agree. And I think too, with sleep, now somebody with PCOS, like insulin, we know is a huge problem, insulin resistance. There are studies that show one night of poor sleep affects insulin resistance immediately. Like the next day, your insulin resistance has basically gone off the charts with just poor sleep alone. So if your tongue is not in the right spot, we talked about the cortisol levels, but also we're just talking about sleep in general. If you're not getting good sleep, your insulin resistance, if you're a sister, if you got that PCOS, we are just setting, we're setting ourselves up for failure. So until we address these things, is it going to fix everything a hundred percent? No, if there's other factors, you know, involved that those things have to be addressed. But if you have poor sleep, I always say like process of elimination. If we know there's a problem, let's clear it out of the way and see what else presents, right? Like maybe you're, for me, like just getting my tongue tie release done wasn't enough to help my acid reflux. I cut out dairy and now I feel so much better. I don't have acid reflux. So did my tongue tie completely fix my acid reflux? No. Some people it does because it's how they're swallowing and it, it's just gas that enters the intestines. For me, it was more of a food intolerance. So again, I always yeah. try to help people. We've got to get to the root cause and maybe it's not just one thing. Okay, great. I want to talk about mouth taping and get your thoughts about that. Because my mm-hmm. husband snores like no other, and I got him mouth tape. He has not has not used it yet, but is this something I should be pushing for? And now that I know I sleep with an open mouth and it's not great, should I be taping my mouth? What are your thoughts about that? So I, I personally mouth tape because I've gotten clearance from an ENT that my nose is clear. So I always would prefer that you get ENT clearance first because we don't want to close the escape hatch that is your last resort for getting oxygen, right? So if your husband is snoring so loudly that his tissue is blocking his throat, first of all, it sounds like he needs to see me and then we need to get him a sleep study. But the mouth tape can be a helpful, it's it, no pun intended, it's a band-aid. Your mouth should stay closed on its own. So if it's not, we need to address why. But in the meantime, like until I address where my jaw is sitting, my ENT said, yeah, it's fine. You can mouth tape just to help. I'm also hypermobile. I'm double jointed. So a lot of people who are double jointed, their jaw relaxes more because it's more loose and it relaxes more into the throat. So the mouth taping, a lot of my clients with like Ehlers, Danlos syndrome, that was a tongue twister. A lot of people with EDS mouth tape because it will help the jaw from collapsing extra because they just have loose ligaments. So there's multiple factors to it. But as an overarching statement, I don't have a problem with mouth tape. My question is why you need it and let's fix that. So like, why do you need mouth tape? Why are you snoring? Just uh, we're sticking a bandaid on it. We're not actually addressing the root cause. Yeah. I don't know why he snores. It's really annoying. It's really annoying. Something obstructive. <laughs> if he's making that, it's, ch- it's, it sounds dramatic, but it's literally choking in your sleep. As it's mm-hmm. as if somebody had, if you try to take a breath in with somebody really choking you, you're going to hear it. It's the sound comes through. Tissue vibrating, snoring is mm-hmm. tissue vibrating as air tries to pass through. It's collapsing. Your airway is collapsing. So the snoring. Why is he snoring? Likely he's choking in his sleep, and we need to address why he's choking in his sleep. Okay, so. Do you think that, so if someone's listening right now, what what can they do if they think there may be a problem? What are some of the first steps that you would recommend someone take if they suspect an issue? 
So I absolutely recommend a monofunctional consultation where I look at the oral rest posture. I can see, is your tongue where it's supposed to be? Is it not? I also have, I work with people all over the country and actually all over the world too, where I have providers who are specifically airway trained. So I need to get them into an airway trained provider who's trained to look at these things like those two sleep physicians who told me I was fine. They were not airway trained and they were incorrect. So I help my clients find airway providers where I would say, sometimes I say what your homework could be is just ask your doctor for sleep study. Again, we need the data. We'll have somebody who trained read it later. But if you want to do something proactive, ask your physician for a sleep study. That's something that you could do. But we start with a mild functional evaluation, get you into an airway trained ENT. We want to make sure you have enlarged tonsils, you have enlarged adenoids, do you have a deviated septum? Do you have enlarged turbinates, which are pieces of tissue right at the opening of the nostril? Can you breathe properly? If not, why not? Like what is keeping you from breathing normally? When I had my tonsils removed, Dr. Zaghi also reduced my turbinates, the pieces of tissue in my nose. And now when I breathe, I'm like, I can breathe colors. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't realize how restrictive it was until now it's like open. So it's like, you don't know how bad it is until you feel how it's supposed to feel. Right. And you're like, oh, wow, that was, that was worse before. So I would say seeing an airway trained provider who knows how to diagnose tethered oral tissues, which I help my clients find a myofunctional evaluation of where the tongue is, can it get where it needs to be, and who else needs to be on the team, and then a sleep study and an ENT evaluation. That's kind of like the blanket statement of who people should see and, and get some consultations done. Okay, great. And I want people to also go to your social media and find you and your website. And you do these cool videos where you evaluate celebrities and their <laughs> facial features. So those are really interesting. So where Thank can people you. find those? Yeah. So my social media is at Healthy Mouth, Healthy Life. That's where you can find me. I try to make those videos because people have been like, oh, that looks like me. Oh, wait, that looks like me. And so they can start right. putting the puzzle pieces together. So I'm glad you like them. Thank you for that. I was hoping people would enjoy it. So at Healthy Mouth underscore Healthy Life, that's my handle. Um, Reveal Myotherapy is my website. R-E-V-E-A-L Myo, M-Y-O therapy.com. And then I do 30-minute consultations. So if you see something and you're like, oh, or if you heard something and you're like, I have PCOS and my insulin's off and I feel like I'm tired. And we know it's like PCOS, you know, patients with PCOS, we really shouldn't have caffeine because it raises our cortisol levels and then it rate, you know, then it throws off our insulin resistance. And so a lot of the PCOS girls who have they need they're like, I need coffee in the morning, I'm tired, I can't work properly. Let's address your sleep. Okay. Let's put the let's put the PCOS like to the side only to address your sleep because that could directly affect your hormones and affect your insulin resistance. So I would say just those little red flags alone, like anybody listening, if you see like, oh, this sounds like me, or even if you have PCOS, great idea to see how are you sleeping? Because that could be contributing if you're still having symptoms. Okay. Sarah, this was incredible. Thank you so much for being here. We'll link to everything you said in the show notes so people can easily find it. And I can't wait to like talk to you about my husband and maybe my kid mm -hmm. and maybe myself and get all of us to uh, feel better. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. And if you need your family, I do do family discounts. So bring them all. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.